Welcome to Love It or Leave It, Backs to the Future. John's taking us back to the future. He's taking us back to the future. I know we're dreading that DST. The Ides of March will be the death of me. It's time to turn to our favorite podcaster to take us through this pandemic disaster. Calling the state troopers, we need this straight shooter. Spinning that front wheel ground, okay, stop. It's love it or leave it. We're here to receive it. Just listen to leave it now. He's taking us back to the future. He's taking us back to the future. That song was by John Spring. If you want to make a Vax to the Future theme song, please send it to us at leaveit at crooked.com. Before we get to the show, Crooked's new sports podcast, Take Line, premieres on Tuesday, March 16th. Each week, Emmy Award-winning host Jason Concepcion and two-time WNBA champion and new co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, Renee Montgomery, will host a fast, funny, smart conversation about sports, culture, politics, and all the ways they intersect on and off the court. They are so much fun to listen to, and it's going to be your new favorite show. Listen to the trailer and follow Take Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on the show, I grilled Senator Ed Markey about the COVID bill, the filibuster, and daylight saving time. It was a great conversation, and we have a uh, apology from Pepe Le Pew. But first, he's a comedian and actor. Please welcome returning champion James Adomian. Hi, folks. How you doing, gang? Let's get into it. What a week! It has been one year since the pandemic began, and I still haven't eaten any of those beans. <laughs> It's been one year <laughs> since Anthony Fauci told us masks don't work unless you're a doctor. I was realizing actually today that like, oh, wow, after a whole year, I actually let my guard down a little bit. And oops, I ran out of toilet paper. <gasps> Finally. Catastrophe. Catastrophe. After being so on point with it. It's a little bit of a bit of hope, right? Like, oh, you know. Nature is healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you ran out of toilet paper. That's not a, yeah. it's okay. Uh, life uh, finds a way. It's been one year of emails hoping to find you well in these crazy times. Oh, I got some doozies. <laughs> it's been one year since the biggest pessimist in the group text was like, I actually think this could last till summer. I remember that. Yeah, I thought I thought it was going to be about a year. You were right. I guess I was right. I don't want to claim that prize. Uh, it's been one year since people were saying, you know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> my King Lear, my King Lear was customizing the egg McMuffin with bacon instead of the ham. That's my that's my Lear. Blow winds and crack my cheeks. I didn't even finish reading King Lear during this pandemic. <laughs> no. The idea, the idea of dense literature in this moment is impossible. It's also been one year since I made this joke at the improv. Welcome, everyone, to the Hollywood Improv. We'll all remember this show because this is where you got the coronavirus. <laughs> I want you to know that I made that joke and I said that I would regret it. And then Travis cut out my saying I would regret it before it aired, which I didn't know. And I only found that out today. When we were reflecting on the show from last year, because it doesn't include the fact that I knew in the moment I shouldn't be saying it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes people just want to zoom in on the uh, juicy, incriminating part. Right, 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 right. And it's good to have those people working on your show. No, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, you don't want, um, you want people to keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep the pranksters closest of all. So it's been a tough year, but we've learned a lot. Mostly we learned that what it would be like if our lives felt like when you're trying to download a file and then the time remaining starts to go up. <laughs> That's a good observation, yes. We've, we've been on a WeTransfer page without a status bar. <laughs> no status bar. We don't know where to sit here. Uh, now, there's some good news, which is vaccinated nursing home residents have gotten the federal go-ahead to once again receive hugs, which is such a dystopian notion. They are. They've gotten the go-ahead. The CDC has approved hugs. Oh, my God. That sounds like a children's movie version of a dystopia. <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean in your country you don't have hugs? Plantron has once again tentatively approved hugs for affected zones. Where I come from, people hug all the time. That's what the, uh, yeah, the guy from out of the, town says. That's the last survivor of Happy Land. And then we find out the, the nightmare that befell Happy Land. <laughs> 
And sometimes we didn't just talk, we would, and then he'd sing. And he'd sing a, a beautiful song. President Biden's dog, Major, was sent back to Delaware after a minor biting incident involving a Secret Service agent. The agent was fine. Then a reporter from the New York Post asked White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki this. Just a, a quick clarification sure. on the dogs. Okay. Um, can you confirm that it was a Secret Service member who was bitten? And can you also reassure the public that Major Biden will not be euthanized as a result of this? Right up until that point, it was like a Mar- Marmaduke comic strip. <laughs> where it's like, oh, a little dog went too far. Waka waka. And then they're like, is he going to be put down? What? Whoa. <laughs> This 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 raises an interesting question coming off of the coattails of an out-of-controlled wild dog of a president in human form is like, what is the protocol for a presidential dog maybe can't be put down? <laughs> and if they knew that, the power would go to their head. <laughs> well, it's also like, is this dog a defender of the president or a threat to the president? Oh, right. I see. Which team are they on? You know? So when I saw that clip, I kind of in, you instantly know that it's a right-wing journalist. First, you just know, like, oh, the only reason you'd ask if the dog would be put down is because it's a right-wing journalist, which doesn't really make sense because it sort of implies that the dog has an ideology, <laughs> that the dog shares the ideology with with the president Come on, man. at the time. Come on, man. He's a little dog. He's a little pooch. It's, it's, uh, it's Frank Roosevelt said, you could take, there's, uh, I got a dog, you can't take him, pal. Who are you, the wicked witch? House Democrats passed the final version of the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package with no Republican votes. And on Thursday, the bill was signed into law by President Biden using the blood of the Secret Service agent mauled by Major. That's weird. Maybe it was more serious than they're letting He's on. Major. He's a, he's a model of a modern Major. major. That's, how you, that's a little test. That's a little test. I came. Grandpa has a little test. You come out there. You, you get the scary dog. You bring a guy out. He's new. You go like, hey, pal, welcome. First day of work. Well, you didn't tell him as you smeared a little peanut butter. You smeared a little peanut butter on the back of his knees. Yeah. Then a dog chases him around. You speed up, you film it, you speed it up, put it on a Benny Hill soundtrack, pal. Come on, man. It was your first day. You smeared a little peanut butter on the back of the knee. With passage, 200 million adults and 80 million children will be eligible for stimulus checks up to $1,400, which will finally narrow America's NBA top shot gap. Uh, the bill is the biggest expansion to the social safety net in decades. We'll get to some of the details later in the show, but the bill includes 85% of households will receive the stimulus checks, $300 per week in unemployment benefits extended through September 6th, a greatly expanded child tax credit that is essentially uh, universal basic income for parents, $400 billion in federal relief to buy back any exercise equipment you didn't use, $10 billion in rental relief for any couples who met just before quarantine and decided to move in together and know now it was a mistake, but they can't do anything about it. And most <laughs> importantly, $60 billion in direct payments to anyone who can prove that they haven't had sex in a year, which was dubbed by Chris Coons as the horniness dividend. Bernie wanted it to be $80 billion, but Joe Manchin thought it might reduce the incentive when fucking comes roaring back this spring. I know Bernie was there. Bernie, Bernie was fighting for uh, the sexually active young people in America. We cannot forget the advice of Eugene Debs, who said that I getting laid is not enough. I have not gotten lucky until everyone in my cohort and in my community has gotten lucky with me. <laughs> Seems like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> On Monday, the CDC released new guidelines for people who received their final vaccine dose. Now they have the CDC's blessing after two weeks to hold indoor, mass-free, non-social distance gatherings with others who are vaccinated. So next time you Zoom with your parents, try to ignore that fishbowl full of keys. <laughs> um, They're getting at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know they they earned it. Those who survived. There was VE Day. They lived through VE Day and VJ Day, and now they mm-hmm. get to live through VC Day. Victory over coronavirus. Yeah, it's going to be quite a summer. On the town, pal. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Banks will direct a thriller titled Cocaine Bear about a bear that did seventy five pounds of cocaine and then would not shut the fuck up about his business ideas. Now, what kind of bear was that? I know a lot of gay bears. Who, yeah, yeah. No, that's what this that, is about. Where it would be like, yeah, okay, good. It would be this like takes a, place on uh, that that weekend uh, in, uh, um, it's a story about Provincetown. That's what I was trying to say. Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear. Yeah, I like that. Cocaine bear. In fact, a year uh, a year ago, that could have been a, uh, or a year and a half ago, that could have been a prosperous um, nightclub. <laughs> Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear. And this week, the New York Times reported that in college, Senator Josh Hawley, the insurrectionist, had a poster in his dorm room above his bed at Stanford. 
He didn't deny it was there, though uh, claimed through a spokesman not to remember it, which is very strange because it's a very specific poster. It's a famous picture called L'Enfant, and it is a sepia-toned portrait of a shirtless, very handsome male model holding a baby. James, did you see this story? Uh, yeah, I saw the story, and uh, I mean, I, was, I, I, I saw the picture. I don't know if Josh Hawley was imagining himself in the hot guy role or the baby role. <laughs> he was asked about it, and he said it was because he was pro-life, uh, which I think is one possible explanation uh, for hanging the portrait of a super hot shirtless guy above your bed in college. Uh, but there are other possibilities. It was there when he moved in. It was because it was because he opposed abortion, but specifically because the fetus might develop into sexy, sexy men. It was about a cool haircut to show a stylist. Fair. He was one of those classic college guys who's obsessed with being a dad and is always talking about baby stuff. Uh, he originally had the poster of Einstein sticking his tongue out, but felt it was both too suggestive and too Jewish, uh, or the poster store ran out of posters. Those are the only possible. I don't think there are other reasons. He also had the John Belushi poster, uh, but on the shirt was <laughs> written the word uh, um, insurrection. Well, the thing is that he um, he had the hot guy because he was pro-life. He had the Belushi poster because he wanted to fuck Belushi. Josh Hawley is so exhausting. <laughs> he could have been removed from Congress. It could have happened. And everybody was just kind of like, eh, give him a warning this time. You can see in his eyes how exhausting it is to be him and to exist the way that he exists. It seems torturous. It's torturous for us, but it seems torturous for him. And it's just excruciating. The whole experience of Josh Hawley is excruciating. Yeah, you got to be like, you got to be living your life constantly upset at something. And to be like a major conservative, like you can't have an experience of being on mushrooms and sitting on a hill at a music festival going like, you know what? This is just life and I can just sit back and watch it a bunch of people just doing their thing. Not all of it's for me, but here I am, and I'm just like part of it, and wow, how infinitely multifaceted this world is. No, you have to, <laughs> first of all, you can't do mushrooms or go to a music festival without already having a long list of like, well, <laughs> I don't agree with that. <laughs> and then you get, if it did happen, you'd be, just be sitting there disagreeing with everything. That would even be like an experience that has some, color and substance and life to it that he doesn't have because I he strikes me as somebody that goes to a music festival and thinks I need to make sure that nothing happens here that prevents me from becoming president and everything else is secondary hate the music love the music it's not about the music the only it's the ambition there are these types of guys and I've you know I've met them my whole you meet them your whole life that the I'm you see them in politics all the time and they are they have this this unquenchable ambition, just enormous, enormous. Can't fills every space, fills every decision, every moment, every room. It's it seems it's almost primitive. Ted Cruz is like that, I think. Yeah, here's the way it should be. Goozle, 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 goozle. Yeah, none of them has a personality. You add them all together, you don't get Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Mike Pompeo. Tom Cotton, they are very similar men. Imagine Trump without the jokes. That's what you get with those guys. Yeah, you watch those guys on stage and they're constantly trying out. They're just always, even when they're in charge, even when it's their moment, even their own events, they're auditioning. They're auditioning for whoever's in front of them. They're putting on this show. And Trump puts on a show, but he's not auditioning. Right, yeah, he's, improvi he's, he's improvising. He didn't read the script and he just <laughs> he showed up and he's like, well, wing it. <laughs> Also, breaking news, just as we started to record this episode, we learned that uh, President Biden is announcing that he is directing states to make the vaccine available to all adults by May 1st, thus fulfilling a campaign promise I made to myself about going to Vegas this summer, no matter what, no matter what happens. Wow. I, the, Uncle Grandpa says we're going to have a fucking summer. We're going to have summer. Biden is promising summer. We're going to hide the vaccine around an Easter eggs. We're going to do an Easter egg hunt. We're going to have little... Uh, Moderna needles are hiding it out in one out of every five eggs. <laughs> the um, the Easter egg roll. But I mean, not in a long time. I mean, I've never, a politician saying, I will give you summer, that's got to make them popular. People love summer. Yeah, that, that worked for uh, Emperor Augustus 2,100 years ago. Famously so. Famously so. <laughs> I give thee summer. Marcus Aurelius pulled that trick to get away with torturing a few more Christians. In uh, 
a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, he predicts the eclipse. He says, if you don't do something, I'm going to make the sun go away. Right. Because it was good timing for him. Good week to show up in King that Arthur's is, court. So that's where that trope came from that was used through in, over and over again from Abbott and Costello on down to DuckTales. Yeah. Per, the time traveler predicting the, the uh, eclipse. Yeah. Oh, Twain. Classic Mark Twain. You know him as Mark Twain. I, I, I think of him as Samuel Clemens. You're always a purist. You're always a purist. I think of him as the person, you know? You never let people get away with their stage names. Uh, and finally, Oprah interviewed Meghan and Harry Markle. That's not right. Last Sunday. <laughs> and it's been big news, and it's pretty well tapped out. But I do think it's worth noting that if Meghan Markle hadn't been in Suits, she doesn't meet Harry. And if the creator of Suits hadn't written on Everybody Loves Raymond, he probably wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to make Suits. And if Ray Romano hadn't gotten on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, he probably doesn't get to make Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm -hmm. But how does Johnny Carson get The Tonight Show? In 1960, Jack Parr, the host of The Tonight Show at the time, walks Mm -hmm. off the set because the night before, he told a story that had a joke about a toilet and someone peeing in a church. And unbeknownst to him, NBC cut it. And it was the last straw for Jack Parr. He was upset. He broke down, basically in tears. Parr seems like he was under a lot of pressure. He storms off. The announcer has to finish the broadcast. He briefly returns to host again, but it was the beginning of the end, and soon after, Johnny Carson was in talks to take over the show, which is what led to Ray Romano, which is what led to Suits, which led to Meghan meeting Harry, which exposed the royal family as racist pricks. And so, a prudish dweeb at NBC cutting a joke about a toilet in 1960 because it was too risque may just bring down the British monarchy. And I like that. I like that. Long live the peen, you know? Thanks so much to James Adomian for joining us. When we come back, we have two special guests to unpack some of the details in the COVID bill. We have Bernie Sanders and Mike Lindell here together. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. And we're back. This week, Senator Bernie Sanders referred to the American Rescue Plan as, quote, the most significant piece of legislation to help working people that has been passed by Congress in decades. And seeming to agree, human frat paddle Matt Gates said it's a Trojan horse for socialism. It is everything Democrats have wanted, wrapped and branded in coronavirus. These sorts of debates are important, but Matt Gates was busy with Nestor and Cabo San Lucas. So we are going to the next best thing here to have a, a debate about the bill is Senator Bernie Sanders and the CEO of My Pillow, Mike Lindell. First off, general thoughts about the bill, Bernie Sanders. <coughs> yeah, okay, thank you. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you, John. Uh, first, I do want to say that I will be voting against the confirmation of general thoughts uh, to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, <laughs> now that you've brought that up. Look, I think this legislation is fantastic. I think this legislation is some of the boldest progressive legislation helping American working families in decades. Going back to the Johnson administration, when there was a mandate that all households would have available Johnson & Johnson No More Tears shampoo. Right, famously. This does more to help working families since that landmark legislation you know, over 50 years ago. I do think also that my comments saying that this is one of the greatest bills, obviously I'm putting a positive spin on it. There were some real sons of bitches that shot down 15 bucks an hour, and I will not... Forget that, especially in the cafeteria of the United States Senate when I'm down there. I hope not. And there's what? There's six, seven, or eight even Democratic senators Mm -hmm. that really flopped on that one. We had it. We had it. We had 15 bucks an hour. So, you know, it's going to come back to bite them in their fucking dicks because here's... (laughs) Here's what's going to happen. They're going to they're gonna keep shooting down 15 bucks an hour. And meanwhile, inflation keeps ticking up. By the time we pass the necessary upgrade for a, li- a minimal living wage in this country, guess what, fuckos? It's going to be 25 bucks an hour. So, yeah, okay, sure. You know, stall, install, install. Keep people poor, keep people poor, keep people poor. We're going to rise up. I'm going to see it within my lifetime. 15 bucks an hour is no longer enough. It's going to be 25 bucks an hour, you sons of fucks. (laughs) So Bernie's position, pretty clear. Uh, A lot of good things in the bill, but also fuck around on the minimum wage and see what happens. Next, we have Mr. Yeah, see what happens. Next, we have Mr. Pillow himself. How do you feel about this bill? Lyle, it's great to be here on the Lyle Love It and Leave It program. I see. I Look, it's my pillow (laughs) because it's good. And I I think what the American people, the Democrats... 
the Antifa commies Democrats, what they put out was a program that was pure communism when all this country needs is the microfibers that are targeted for people to be laid down on and sleep. And in the, in the shadow government run by Donald Trump, there was an alternate rescue package of $3 trillion put into my pillow and my pillow accessories. Okay. Including my pillow sleep masks and my pillow fuck pillows. So, uh, fuck pillows. It's a fuck pillow. It's my pillow, but there's a little base to it and a little lump that you can think of. You can think of as a pair of breasts or a beautiful, supple asshole, depending on what you want to do. Wow. That's an interesting product. One out of ten is pre-tested by me, Mike Lendell, in Minneapolis. Uh, I know you're stunned there, Lyle. Let me tell you. It's, me, I, you keep saying Lyle. Lyle Lovett is just an unrelated Honestly, thing. I think I think you got nothing to be ashamed of, and I think that Julia Roberts really did you wrong. Well, I think it was a shame what the late night guys did to you, and if you want, I'm happy to take you down to a... a, 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 a there's a Lovett barbecue. I want to take you, bring you out, you know, hit the pipe, have some barbecue, run around underneath the freeway. What happened was a disaster. Joe Biden, the false president, the Pope in exile. There's he's the he's the Babylonian exile of the papacy all rolled into one. He's a Benedict Arnold. He's a Benedict Arnold, and let me tell you, there's a fake government that's putting billions and billions of dollars in, into Antifa. They're giving $19 trillion to Ecuadorian pedophiles. What? The whole thing. I have a newsletter. I'll send it to you if, you're, <laughs> if you don't believe it. I have an email newsletter, mypillow.pillow. You sign up for it, and it has multicolored text fonts so you can know you can believe it. And when you scroll all the way down to the email, there's a bunch of animated... Animated American flag gifts and okay. eagles swooping in to tear apart a young protester. And it comes with the quality information that's okay to forward to anyone over 65 and get it out there in the forwarded email chain. Mike, my, my, there's a lot to unpack there, but but I mean, you must you must not have a problem. 85% of households will get $1,400 stimulus checks. That has to be, you know, and, and $1,400 for each dependent child. Surely, you know, that's something you're, that's something that uh, Donald Trump supported. Yep, this reminds me of propaganda coming out of Nicaragua back when Ronald Reagan was president. $1,400, every child's going to get a slap on the ass. They're going to get to meet Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. Let me tell you, I've met Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. I slept <laughs> overnight at the Minnesota fairgrounds, right there in between St. Paul and Minneapolis. I didn't realize they had accommodations. I, I talked to Snuffleupagus for 18 hours. We shared a pipe. Wow. Yes, we shared a pipe. I I, talk, I know what I know the fantasy. And let me tell you what's really going to happen. What's really going to happen is that there's $10 billion that's going to go to excavate the body of Dr. Seuss, Ted, Ted Geisel, and they're going to parade it around the country and kick him while he's dead and down one more time. That's what these communists want to do. Ten, that's what ten these billion centrists, for, that's for what these, That's what these centrist, far-left, <laughs> communist, liberal, Democrat, socialists want to do. I got to let... I got to let Senator Sanders have a moment to get in here. I mean, what, you know, look, there was a fight with the moderates. Uh, they reduced the unemployment insurance from 400 to 300, but they made the first 10,000 unemployment benefits tax-free for households. Do you feel that was an acceptable compromise, Senator Sanders? Well, first of all, they want to say that Mike Lindell is insane. <laughs> and in protest, I have boycotted not only his MyPillow product, but also all pillows altogether. I've never really enjoyed pillows. I've spent most of my life sleeping on couches in various faculty offices and union basements. I've slept in the back of a Volvo more than I am familiar with the comforts of a twin, let alone queen, a king-size bed. So, you know, it's not much for me. You know, I'm a little bit more comfortable now as a United States senator. I do. I sleep on a very comfortable cot on the floor of my Senate <laughs> office when I'm in D.C., Jane comes over and goes, Bernie, you look like shit. She dumps cold ice water on me. Oh, really? She comes in with cold ice water? Well, yeah, that's just, you know, that's that's how she says hello. She dumps cold ice water on me. That's how we, you know, that's like bathing a dog. 
but I, I'm not, I am no longer using pillows after watching the insanity that Mike Lindell and the MyPillow, you know, let's face it, the MyPillow Nazis, that they have unleashed on this once great country. So I'm not, I'm sleeping like a Klingon. <laughs> I am sleeping like a populist left-wing Klingon, just a hard floor, just to prove that I don't need a pillow, let alone the most comfortable pillow that is out there. I think, you know, it's not about my pillow, it's about our pillow. <laughs> and until everybody has the comfort to sleep with a, you know, shelter and a living wage, and yes, adequate unemployment, go fuck yourselves, you moderate Democrats, then I think my pillow is not the solution, it's our pillow. Lyle, if I could jump in there, Lyle, oh, no. would you? Yeah, would get you, in there. Go, go ahead, Mike. What you heard is taken straight from a Joseph Stalin speech. I don't know how you people can hear this communist say that kind of thing and not start gassing up the tanks to make another try at Moscow. Mike, I'm going to need you to give me some. Sp- I need to let you let Senator Sanders finish what he's saying. All right, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've offered you the space to come talk here, and I need you to give the space to Senator Sanders. I, oh, thank you, oh, thank you, Lyle. <laughs> I'm not Lyle. I've never been Lyle. The way I agree with Senator Sanders on that is that he fight like we agree that the music of this country, the country music of patriotic career was was cut short due to an unfortunate (laughs) hairstyle. Let's put it this way. From one six to another six, let me tell you, Lyle Lovin, (laughs) if you score big, that's your prerogative. Look, I, obviously we were a little bit off topic. And Bobby Brown was a great friend of mine. And I, I look forward topic. to seeing Bobby Brown was a great friend of mine. Jesus Christ. What yeah, a life you've led. How dare you, Senator? Believe me, Senator, you're no Bobby Brown. Listen. Okay, we're he's way to off do... topic here. What, I want to say he's, quick. He's he's trying. Well, he's. I don't know if you noticed this, Lyle. He's attempting to do. <laughs> look, I thought. I thought. Oh, he corrected me. I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> he's he's trying to do. Uh, um, of 1988, uh, what's his name? The Texas guy. Uh, he was attempting, oh, <laughs> no, the that's... vice presidential candidate. Mondale, Mondale. No, close, close. Who are we talking You're about? You're close. Who are we talking about? That's a Minnesota reference. You got a Mondale in there. Let me tell you something. I won't rest <laughs> no. until I get to crawl into Walter Mondale's grave and sleep next to him and give him my thoughts about what went wrong, not only in 84, but after that. So I, I've obviously lost control here. A couple points. I think you're right. I think some of the humor directed at Lyle Lovett is worth a reexamination. Uh, I think we've begun to do that about some of the harsh rhetoric of the 1990s. I think that's an important step we should take. I'm not Lyle Lovett, and that's fine. Great deal of admiration for Lyle Lovett. Senator Sanders, thank you. You've made some very important points about the bill. Uh, Mike Lindell, um, you're on your own path. Uh, before I let you both go, uh, is I'm there anything- on a, I am on a path of exploration where I'm I'm opening up myself to the spirits and the great shamans, not only the one that watched, marched on Washington, who I now believe in as a religious figure, but also I'm opening up and exploring great empathies for great right-wing movements of the past. Oh, dear. Whether it's gonna... St. Paul taking the beautiful poetry of our Jesus Christ and turning it into, and turning it into a, a, a misogynist cult of hate, or, or whether it's other tremendous right-wing figures that have robbed the hallucinatory poetry of the human species. I'm there, and I'm learning new and new untold levels of right-wing hateful empathy. Mike, uh, uh, before I let you go, and I can't believe I'm asking this, is there anything you'd like to plug? Look, I, I want to say what Senator Sanders was reaching for and he didn't get it was Lloyd Benson. And yes, Lloyd I was... Benson. God damn it. Lloyd Benson. I am embarrassed to my core that Mike Lindell remembers that before. <laughs> but let me, uh, here's what I've got to plug and this is going to throw you for a loop. It's my pillow. My okay. pillow. It's soft All right. and firm, uh, like oh, a goddamn great. pillow should be. I, you can fluff it. You can cut it up into little. Sh- Look, I take cookie cutters that are in the shape of little sheep, and I cut out little sheep, ninety-nine sheep out of one my pillow, and I roll around in it, and I start. We're gonna to have count to cut his sheep. mic. We're gonna have to cut his mic. Don't you We're cut his? Look, you you want to cut my mic? I'll cut my mic. Meaning, I'll cut myself, Mike Lindell. I'm not afraid to hurt myself and let the organs and blood and bile spill out into Jesus. a special edition my pillow that will be so. Like beanie babies. <laughs> Mike Lindell, always a pleasure. Uh, Senator Sanders, ah! obviously. <laughs> and look, I'm sorry about Julia Roberts, but you know, hopefully you two can get back together. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Thank you for my time. I yield the balance of my time. 
to the memory of Rosa Luxemburg. When we come back, I guess I talked to the Senator Ed Markey. I guess that's literally what comes after this. Yeah, tell Ed hi for me, and if he could put the rest of that soup in the dumbwaiter, I wouldn't mind finishing it off. <laughs> so a lunch request, I thought it might be a policy matter. It's His office lunch. is directly above mine. I think it checks. There's a dumbwaiter. You you sometimes share. There's a soup comes. You Look, a cup is $4. A bowl is $6. But it's twice as much soup. I'm not going to eat it all. I want him to taste it. So, yeah, sure. It goes up and down in the dumbwaiter. Send it back up. <laughs> It's probably good for another 24 or 48 hours. James Adomian, thank you so much. This is very fun. Haka, 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 haka. Thanks, guys. Thanks, folks. When we come back, I talk to Senator Ed Markey about everything from the filibuster to ending the uh, tyranny of switching between daylight saving time and standard time. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. And we're back. Joining us now, he is the senator from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Welcome back, Senator Ed Markey. Good to see you. Thank you. Great to be with you again, John. So let's start uh, with uh, the legislative achievement this week. The stimulus bill it will cut child poverty almost in half. It's tilted toward working people in a way previous relief was not. And every Democrat got on board. It was pretty remarkable that while there was a defeat on the minimum wage, the right flank of the party took issue with some parts of uh, unemployment benefits, some parts of uh, the direct payments, but the scale of the bill wasn't in jeopardy. That seems to me to be a pretty big shift. What did you learn in terms of some of the big fights to come from this victory? Well, first, that we shouldn't expect a lot of cooperation from Republicans on the big issues. Uh, that was pretty clear. They wanted to scale this package down to about one third of what it ultimately wound up being, which clearly did not match the magnitude of the problem and the help that people need all across the country. What we saw on our side was disagreements, but not disagreements that went to the, the core issue of whether or not we had to provide unemployment uh, insurance help, that we needed to send a check to everyone, that we needed more funding for cities and towns, that we had to reduce uh, child poverty in the United States, uh, especially in this uh, coronavirus pandemic environment. So from my perspective, what we saw was Democrats were willing to work together. There wasn't a unanimity of opinion in terms of every single issue, but ultimately it got worked out. And the $1.9 trillion, uh, while not in the exact form, actually, that any single member would have wanted it to be, uh, did pass. Uh, and it's going to mean a lot for a lot of families, but it's also going to speed us on the route to, uh, to getting a shot in the arm of every American and to having an economic recovery that puts people back to work as quickly as possible. So the last time you were on the show, we talked about abolishing the filibuster. You were a little skeptical at the time. You wanted to give Republicans a chance to come to the table. Uh, I was skeptical of that. Uh, I did want to have you here to say, uh, you know, I told you so. But uh, no, <laughs> you've come out in favor of abolishing the filibuster. And this seems to me to be a really important conversation taking place inside the Democratic Party among senators that is about genuine persuasion. What is that conversation like right now among you and your colleagues about how we abolish or reform the filibuster to get some of these big pieces of legislation done? No, no you are right. Uh, it's pretty clear just from this first bill that the Republicans are going to be obstructionists when it comes to doing the big things which we need to do in our country. That's including increasing the minimum wage, uh, dealing with the climate uh, crisis, ensuring that uh, voting rights are extended uh, to everyone in our country and that those rights are protected, uh, that we have comprehensive immigration uh, reform in our country. All of that clearly is going to be blocked by Republicans who will use the filibuster. So to the extent to which they failed this first test, it's a prediction of uh, coming attractions uh, from their side. So what Democrats are increasingly doing is talking about abolishing the uh, filibuster. I am a big fan of that. It's just got to go. It's really an historical impediment to the implementation of the, the kinds of fundamental changes that we need in our country. And the sooner we have that vote, the sooner we begin to confront these issues. So for example, 
labor unions right now, they're realizing that there is no increase in minimum wage unless the filibuster goes, uh, that there is no overhaul of how unions organize in our country so that we have more union workers unless the filibuster goes. And so I think every part of the Democratic coalition is coming together to say very clearly that uh, the time has come, that this remnant of the Jim Crow era, this remnant actually of something that goes all the way back to John C. Calhoun, uh, using it as a way to block any reform of the laws which permitted slavery in our country, has to go. And to anyone who's listening right now, there's a great book out. It's called Kill Switch. Uh, and Kill Switch is a book uh, which details uh, the, the history of the filibuster. And right now, and actually historically for the most part, the filibuster hasn't been used to block bad things from happening. It's been used to stop good things from happening in our country. Uh, and that civil rights laws in the 50s and the 60s, uh, all the way up until today, where voting rights, climate crisis, minimum wage, we can go on and on, are going to be blocked unless we change the rules of the Senate. So it seems like we need to put pressure on the outside on some of uh, the Democratic senators who have not yet come around to, if not abolishing the filibuster, putting in place a, a number of reforms that would change the way it works. It wouldn't become this de facto 60 vote threshold. Uh, but I do think we need to do some genuine persuasion inside of the Senate. So here's my pitch to you. I think you should just be walking by uh, cinema or mansion like you're on the phone, like you're not even talking to them, like you're on the phone and you just say things like, oh man, we could do so much more bipartisan deal-making if we didn't have this 60-vote threshold. Or, ah, geez, I sure wish the legislative branch could reassert its primacy in the constitutional order, but we can't do that until we change the filibuster. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, in a way, that is the cacophony that uh, that he is exposed to on the uh, on the Democratic side every single day, and not just the senators, but I think just Democrats in general. It's something I think that's going to happen over the next several weeks, the next several months, when it becomes clear that, for example, uh, on union protections, that the Republicans won't allow it to come up. And Senator Manchin's a very strong pro-union uh, senator. He and Senator Toomey, a Republican, uh, have a bill to ensure that there are background checks on anyone purchasing a gun in the United States. Uh, and it's highly unlikely that in a Mitch McConnell-controlled Republican minority uh, that 40 votes will show up, 41 votes, to ensure that we can begin to debate that and pass it. So in each uh, instance, uh, we're going to be in a situation uh, where it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. The system is broken. It's just not working. And it can't work as long as we have the filibuster in place. So that's my view as to how this is going to unfold. It'll be a story mm -hmm. uh, that will actually make it very, very clear that on issue after issue, the Republicans will not come to the table uh, to have meaningful change. And that ultimately that will make it much more likely that we can get all Democrats on board in order to effectuate this historically needed change. So let's talk about that because, you know, we have this 50-50 Senate. We have a slim majority in the House. Right now across the country, we have Republicans and state legislatures trying to restrict the right to vote on a massive scale. And Republicans have said just with redistricting, just with gerrymandering alone, they may be able to close the gap in the House. And that's not even accounting for the fact that in a midterm like this, the incumbent president traditionally loses seats. So we have a, a big challenge coming for us in 607 days. Uh, do you believe that right now Democrats in the Senate are showing enough urgency around issues like H.R. 1, especially when you know what we have to do is not just get it on the floor, but we have to get these things on the floor, watch them fail, then persuade some colleagues to come on board with reforming the filibuster. I mean, we've got a lot of work to do, not just to protect the vote, but then also to pass bills to earn the votes. So do, do you feel like we're doing this fast, that we're moving fast enough? Well, we just finished this historically huge relief package for the country without any real cooperation from the Republicans. So we just finished it. Uh, but having been instructed by, illuminated by the experience we just had with the Republicans. So as we just said, going back to John C. Calhoun, they were using essentially a form of the filibuster to stop minorities in our country, African-Americans from voting participating in our system. They wanted to keep them in a slave-like 
condition, actually to keep them as slaves. And that just extended all the way through the post-Civil uh, War period where, yeah, theoretically on the books, it looked like we had passed some laws uh, that would make it possible for now these freed slaves to fully participate in our democracy. But we know that a consensus developed in the country, Democrat and Republican, that uh, the old South would just be allowed to continue to impose their very rigid restrictions on the ability of the, the black population to fully participate. Martin Luther King came along, it was a big battle, filibusters from Strom Thurmond to stop any progress that would be made in terms of voting rights. And ultimately we had big laws in 1964 and 65 to make that possible, but we still have a long way to go. And as you're saying, all across the country right now, at the state legislative level, new laws are being proposed to restrict the right to vote, to make it more difficult to vote, to make it more difficult for anyone to be able to participate. And what's their plan? What's the Republican business plan? What are they trying to do? It's to stop Blacks and Latinos from easily registering and voting in our country. That's their business plan. They don't want them yeah. to vote because they know that when we get a full participation, that state goes blue. That's what we just saw in Georgia. The state goes blue. It's not a miracle. It's just a result of a voting activism that took over. So from my perspective, that's the great lesson. Every Democrat knows right now in the Senate that we're in the majority because we we just won two seats in Georgia. No one had that on the scoreboard two years ago. And why did we win? Because Stacey Abrams and Monica and John Ossoff put together a tremendous plan to increase voter turnout. What are the Republicans doing in response to that victory? They are now putting together across the country, state by state, plans to reduce, to restrict the ability for people to vote. So it's not lost on all of us who are now chairman. Each one of us has a gavel. We're called Mr. Chairman because it's 50-50 with Kamala Harris breaking the tie. And by the way, every time she votes, we win. So we're not unmindful of that. Uh, and we want to hold on to the majority. So H.R. 1 is at the top uh, of our minds, at the top of our agenda, because we can see across the country what's happening right now. And if it's allowed to happen, uh, we're just going to revert uh, back to decades ago levels of turnout in our country because it will just be so difficult for people to be able to register and to vote. I, I want to move on to, to daylight saving time because uh, that's a topic near and dear to both of our hearts. But I guess what my, my fear, my concern is, you know, you were you you passed a climate bill through the House and it died in the Senate. That's right. My only fear is that we repeat some of what happened uh, in in those years where we had a we had the House was in the position to pass things like H.R. 1. And then the Senate was just so sclerotic, so broken uh, that a lot of House members took risky votes uh, and then things didn't move in the Senate. But you feel like we can get these things moving through the Senate. Well, you know what we always said in the House. And again, that's Henry Waxman and I passing our comprehensive climate bill in 2009, which did pass to reduce greenhouse gases by 80% by the year 2050. That was back in 2009, and we won. And it went over to the Senate. And again, you need 60 votes over in the Senate to do something that's that comprehensive. Uh, and they stalled out at like maybe 55, 56 votes. So what we always used to say is the Senate is the place where good bills go to die. And that's a reality that we're going to have to deal with right now. How do we respond? So we're going to use the reconciliation process uh, and we can do a lot of great climate-related things inside of that uh, reconciliation bill. And again, it only requires 51 votes. That's the key. So we don't have to have climate deniers uh, giving us permission to move forward uh, who are inside of the Republican caucus. But uh, there are going to be many things that we may not be able to get done. Uh, and then along with, again, minimum wage, uh, gun safety laws, immigration uh, comprehensive legislation. It's all going to come back to the filibuster. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to take up an opportunity to be able to uh, get this done in, in my congressional seat, my old congressional seat, uh, I had a dog track to Wonderland and I had the horses running at Suffolk Downs. Uh, and here's what I know after all those years of growing up within three miles of those two tracks, it's that you don't hit the trifecta that often, the house, the Senate, the presidency. Doesn't happen at the track, doesn't happen in politics. 
So we have two years here to get it done. If we don't, there's no guarantee uh, that uh, we will be able to come this way again. So on each and every one of these issues, including climate, we have to do whatever it takes uh, in order to put the policies in place that solves this, again, existential threat to uh, the planet. So uh, daylight savings time, also on the agenda. You just co-sponsored a bill that's out to make daylight savings year-round you have 10 co-sponsors in the Senate right now. And we talked about this last year. You said, you said, and this was funny, you said, I'm sure I'm going to wind up in some conversation with some farmer Republican from Kansas or Nebraska. What's interesting is you have both Oklahoma senators on board the Rubio bill. That's hard for me to say. Uh, I support the Rubio bill, Rubio bill. All right, got it out. <laughs> How do we get to 50, Senator? How do we get 50 votes to end uh, this time shifting? Well, from my perspective, uh, again, you just have to continue to go member to member to member to member. So, again, I had a hard time back in 1986. I was the chairman over time in 1986, <laughs> and I was able to move it from the end of April to the beginning of April, but negotiating with the farm state members of the House who said that the cows operate on God's time. And I kept telling him they don't have wristwatches. They don't have clocks. They don't know what time it is, you know, but that's how they view kind of this farm culture. We work on God's time. So I was able to get the three weeks. Then I had to wait until all of the members who I negotiated with then were gone. And then in 2005, I went over to another group of Republicans. And then I moved it from the beginning of April all the way down to the beginning of March, which is where it is now. And I picked up those weeks. And and uh, and now I think enough time has elapsed where we can actually begin to say to people, don't you enjoy daylight savings time? Don't you enjoy the sunshine at night? Doesn't it make the corners of your mouth turn upwards? Doesn't it make it easier for you uh, to go out and to take a walk or to go shopping or play with your kids? Isn't it time now that we make that last step? So that's the case I'm going to be making to Democrats and Republicans. See how much you liked it? We got you seven weeks. And by the way, I added a week at uh, Halloween. So it's no longer the last week of October. It's the first week of November. So I've added like two months so far. And we've got these final four months to go now. And uh, But I think people, when they try it, they like it. And uh, and that's why I think there's increasing support uh, on daylight savings time. And I'm very hopeful that ultimately we're, we're going to be successful. So the bill that you're on, uh, it just makes it permanent. And basically any state that's on daylight saving time right now, they move to permanent daylight saving time. But the states that are on standard, uh, they stay on standard. Uh, here's my pitch to get this done. If you have objections from some of these farmers, all right, okay. which is all you need is to give states a period of time to choose permanent daylight saving or standard. Because it is true that there's a difference between you're a, you're an eastern time zone state center, right? Massachusetts, Maine, they're all the way on the east edge of the time zone. So it sunrises earlier and sets earlier. But in a place like Michigan or a place like Kansas uh, or some of these states that are on the western edge of the time zone, they basically are in a version of permanent daylight saving time because the sun sets uh, much later there because of where they are uh, geographically. Uh, I'm just trying to get this done. All right. I'm trying to I'm trying to find a, a pragmatic solution. OK. And and again, give me your solution because that's so, what I'm looking for. So I think I think that's one way to do it. We can just basically we just because right now you basically say if you're not on standard time when we pass this thing, uh, if you're on the daylight savings time shift, that's it. You go to permanent. But some of these places would have pretty late sunrises because they're in the Western edge, right? And you know, especially a place like some of these farm states, some of these Midwestern states that have pretty late sunrises. So all you do is really just give them the option. And then in practicality, they just end up, uh, it just redraws the time zone line slightly, but you still get what you want from Massachusetts. We get what we want for Florida. We get what we want from the other states. Also, I want to work on Diane Feinstein and Padilla. I think we can get them. I don't know where, we, we got to get these California senators. We're a sunshine state in California. <laughs> yeah. And and I like your I like your concept. We we have to be a little bit flexible here towards achieving the ultimate goal. Uh, and and I like where you're going. I like the thinking you're putting into this. Oh, thank this you. This is like historically, you know, important thinking that you're adding to this discussion. And, and believe me, I love the company because you know it, I was a lonely uh, a lonely sentinel back in 1986 saying we have to change it. Uh, and now I think people increasingly love daylight savings time, but we need a kind of a set of practical 
solutions, compromises that we make if we're ultimately going to pass this comprehensive bill. So I like where you're going. And uh, and I'm going to now take what you're saying and kind of bring it back with my staff. We can sit down oh, and we great. can look at all the time zones <laughs> to see how perhaps we can get the votes. But I agree with you. Focusing on California is very important. Okay. It's the golden state, you know, so let's get them on board. Also, I know you haven't gotten anybody from Wisconsin. You haven't gotten Illinois. They're on the Eastern edge of their time zones. They'd win. They, they'd win with permanent daylight. And we've got to go to these Eastern edge places where they got these four o'clock sunsets in the winter. And now my final pitch to you. All right. now I know the branding is locked the clock. I've seen that out there, but I think we can do better. All right. So I want to give you a couple options. All right. Here's one. I think that you could lead a group of people called the Dusk Busters. The Dusk Busters. All right. Yeah. And then this one was, yeah. I think, just for you. All right. If you want to get your get your brand on this thing. All right. Make sure you get the credit you deserve. Okay. Yeah. And this is uh, Daylight Saving Time. It's remarkable. Remarkable. You know, that really does. That, that, that's appealing to me. Remarkable. I got it. Uh, <laughs> I like it. And um for your show, um, you know, as your branding, so you're on this mm -hmm. messaging on an ongoing basis. I think, I think if we look at Bill Withers and uh, and we just you know get inspired by him, this great guy who just passed away uh, in the past year, I think your show should be "Ain't No Sunshine Till Daylight Savings Time Is Gone." Oh, that's good. Ain't no sunshine. Yeah, if we we have we 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 can use Bill Withers in the in the background, you know. Uh, so maybe we can make it. But darkness stops today. Making daylight savings time stands for that. Or even the chickens hate daylight savings time. Or convo with Mr. Sunshine. You can rebrand yourself as Mr. Sunshine. Oh, that's good. Your show can be convo, convo Mr. with Sunshine. Mr. Sunshine. I like that. Yeah, that's what you become. Yeah, you become the 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 embodiment of this <laughs> movement you, that we're creating. I also think you could do a TikTok dance. You could think about that. Oh, what? A times, a, How does that look? It's just you dancing. Uh, and with words about, it's just, you're, it's a time, it's a time to party. We'd call it time to party because daylight saving time gives people time to party. All right. We've got a lot of great ideas for you. All right. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, Senator Markey. I think you owe me. All right. And here's why I gave you a softball interview and I really creamed that Kennedy kid. <laughs> all right. And the way, the way I'm going to pay you back is I'm going to I'm going to do a TikTok in the next 2 days. All right. Uh with a little headline time to party, you know? So uh and and and, uh, and, and try to put that out there. So we'll, we're going to test your idea. All right. You know, to, to see what what it what, what it's a market acceptability is. So I I'll be doing that and I got to figure out what moves I'm going to be using in order to, you know, have it sync up with daylight savings time beginning again on Saturday night. But uh uh, you know, thank you so much. Thanks for um, actually thank you for giving me the opportunity last year to get on your show. And thank you for letting me back on. here. I didn't really cream him. I don't want, I didn't really. cream. Anyway, <laughs> Senator Ed Markey, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep reaching out because I want to I want to see if we can really push this. We got to I, I can't have any more four o'clock sunsets. All right. All right. This has been too depressing of a year as it is. We got to move. We got to move past this shit. It's done. I am a hundred percent with you. I, I just, I think we can see the light at the end of daylight savings time. Now. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's time for us to just admit that the corners of your mouth turn upwards when it's sunny out and it makes everyone feel better when they're driving home at night and it's not pitch black at four in the afternoon. Okay. And they got a little bit of daylight left that they can enjoy with for themselves or with their families. So I'm with you. Great. I'm on board and, uh, and I will be talking to you again about this issue because it is it's at the top of my agenda as well it's time now for uh one of the most ridiculous things i've ever said in the history of the show uh thank you so much to sandra and marky for joining us when we come back pepe lebu hey don't go anywhere there's more of love it or leave it coming up and we're back now it's time for a segment we call notes app apology Throughout history, there has been one method by which celebrities and political figures have shown that they are truly sorry, and that is through statements typed into the Notes app, screenshotted, and shared on social media. This week on Notes app Apology, here to express his fetid regrets over foul prowling, he's malodorous and dolorous. <laughs> Very sorry. 
Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Hi, Pepe. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's me, uh, Pepe, uh, here to apologize. Pepe Le Pew, I am here because I am so very sorry for the unintended harm that I have caused, and I would like to express my sincere, stinky apologies to the cat that I have harmed. Her name is... Ah, it says here that she had no lines and no official name, but in the later marketing materials, she was assigned the name Penelope Prusikat. <laughs> ah, this is fascinating. Via the Wikipedia, her purrs and meows were provided by Mel Blanc. No woman got anywhere near the creation of the episodes for which I am solely to blame. Look. This was a very long time ago. I am 76 years old. At the time, grabbing a pussy cat against her will, it was not frowned upon by, how do you say, the men? Here is a chilling factoid. I am based on a real person. <laughs> you may cancel me now for my behavior, mon chers, but I won the Oscar for it. That is real. Look it up. I am French. I do not joke. In conclusion, I apologize to my fellow Looney Tunes, and I regret any shame I have brought to the Le Lebron as my scene partner. I have come to see that this is not the stink badger I want to be. I will be taking some time off to listen and learn. My spray may be toxic, but my masculinity cannot be and while I will always smell, I hope to shed the stench of misogyny I have spread for generations. Au revoir, mes amours. Pepe. Pepe Le Pew. Wow. Pepe Le Pew, thank you so much for joining uh, to share that uh, personal reflection. When we come back, uh, we'll end on a high note. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. And we're back. Because we all need it this week, here it is, the high note. Hi, love it. This is Kane. I am from San Jose, California. And my high note this week is that my brother just got his Johnson & Johnson vaccine um, through school. And so he's the first member of our family who's now been vaccinated. And then I have an appointment next week. I'm an essential worker. And so I've been working at a grocery store this whole pandemic and it's really exciting to know that both me and my brother now are the first in our family to be vaccinated and start, you know, this whole fun series of getting everybody safe and the whole herd immunized. Thanks for everything you do. Hi, this is Ellie calling from Fairport, New York. And the thing that brought me hope this week is that my kid finally lost her first tooth. And this has been a year where her world has been totally ripped out from underneath her, and she's had to deal with so many disappointments, and all that she's wanted was to lose a tooth, just like the rest of her friends. And she it finally happened today, and it just reminded me that even these little things can bring you so much joy. And in the bigger picture of my six-year-old's world, it was the best possible thing that could happen. Thanks. Bye. Hey, love it. This is Adrienne from Orlando. Um, I'm a college professor here. And my highlight of the week was that my county's FEMA vaccination site decided that vaccinating university faculty and staff is a priority, despite what our governor has declared. So I got my first shot of Pfizer, and I am so relieved, because uh, this means I can volunteer to do everything I can to help defeat our governor, Ron DeSantis, and Marco Rubio in 2022. Their disregard for humanity during COVID has been very clear. Um, my husband is a respiratory therapist here, and he's been caring for COVID patients over the last year, and I've watched so many healthcare workers struggle on so many levels. So I decided my support for them will be shown by knocking on all the doors to keep DeSantis and Rubio from becoming reelected. So that is where I will be taking my new She-Hulk Pfizer energy. Thanks for everything you do. Hey, love it. This is Jenny from Seattle. Uh, my high note for the week is I got to hug one of my very good friends for the first time in over a year. Um, over COVID, she had her first baby, and I'm now pregnant with my second. And we're both social workers and finally got our vaccines. And 
we just hugged and it's never felt so good to hug someone before. Um, so that's my high note. Thanks for everything you do and for keeping us laughing. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, who called in this week. If you want to leave us a message about something that gave you hope, you can call us at 323-521-9455. Before we go, this is Travis Helwig's last week at Crooked Media. We've been working together for the past three years on this show and on tour for Love It or Leave It and Pod Save America. And uh, I'm going to really miss him. And I'm especially grateful for how in the pandemic... He'll figure out how to turn a live show in front of an audience into a show that works in the closet. But this show owes so much to Travis and how it's evolved over the past four years. And I'm, I'm very grateful. And I'm glad that I'm pretty sure we'll be, we became actual friends. We'll see if that holds. But uh, it's also bittersweet because I'm excited that he's working on a scripted comedy with Crooked starring Rosamund Pike. Big get. Very cool. And I'm happy that he's going to be able to go back to his roots, which is uh, uh, working with Mike Bloomberg again, something that I know that um, has always been a passion of his. So good luck to Travis with his new role uh, with Bloomberg. You're a sweetie pie. Thank you to Senator Ed Markey, James Adomian, Ira Madison III, the My Pillow Guy, Bernie Sanders, and Pepe Le Pew. There are 605 days until the 2022 midterm election. Happy daylight saving time and have a great weekend. Love It or Leave It is a Crooked Media production. It is written and produced by me, John Lovett, Lee Eisenberg, our head writer and the person whose gender reveal party started the fire, Travis Helwig. Jocelyn Kaufman, Pallavi Gunalan, and Peter Miller are the writers. Our assistant producer is Sydney Rapp. Bill Lance is our editor, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Jamie Skeel, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast. And to our digital producers, Narmel Conian and Milo Kim, for filming and editing video each week so you can. It's love it or leave it. Turn your camera on, you coward. I'm going to miss you, Travis. I'm going to miss you too, Johnny. All right. I'll talk to you. I don't have to do it on here. I love you. I love everybody on here. This is great. I'm going to miss everyone. I already regret it. I think it was good. Yeah, all right. I put my hat on for you. That's good. Um, no, uh, can we make sure we use this Zoom audio of Travis being vulnerable at the end of the podcast? No, I already what turned off my audio. I already turned off my audio, but I think you can just use the Zoom audio. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you got it wrong, though. I'm not going to work for Mike Bloomberg. I'm the new host of Reply All. Uh, I'm going to bring a new All perspective. Right. All right. We're done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Johnny. Love you too, Travis. I can't look at somebody in the eyes when I say that, so I have to look around. Oh, well, that seems like something you should go to therapy for. A lot of things I should go to therapy for. That's what the improv was for.